Hey, welcome to Divorce for Busy Millennials, a place where you can get the scoop on what it's like to go through a divorce through candid conversations. Hey y'all, welcome to the long-awaited, sorry about that, episode covering the collaborative approach for divorces. We have a real live expert on today. Stephanie was amazing to talk with and has lots of great advice and tons and tons and tons of experience. I really, really hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, Yeah, so thanks. Enjoy. Okay, so welcome everyone and especially welcome to Stephanie. We already talked. That's kind of weird. I'm just going to be real with it. Um, So today our episode, we're focusing on the collaborative divorce approach and luckily I have an expert on hand. We have Miss Stephanie Tang who is a partner at Cogut Wilson and she practices in Chicago, Illinois. That's where the, the firm is, right? Yes. Okay. Well, um, now I'm just going to get right into your very expansive and impressive biography, Mm -hmm. like career and life goals. So, (laughs) all right. Stephanie graduated from Northwestern University, where she double majored in psychology and legal studies, which is highly applicable in family law, I think, (laughs) like smart choice. Um, She went to graduate Uh, excuse me, she went on to graduate from the University of Illinois College of Law, magna cum laude, at Cogut and and Wilson. Stephanie represents individuals in all aspects of family and matrimonial law proceedings. She strives to provide personalized attention to all of her clients and walk them through each step of the litigation and settlement process. Having gone through it myself, I know that is difficult. So her effective communication and organizational skills help clients feel comfortable and prepared through one of the most stressful times of their lives. She is a certified mediator and a fellow with the Collaborative Divorce Illinois. Stephanie is able to offer her clients alternative processes to resolve their divorce outside of the courtroom, which is why I'm so excited to have you on today um, to get an expert opinion. All right, um, you have won so many awards, and I don't have your bio up right now, so I feel terrible, but what I am going to do is post a link to your, your firm's bio for you in the the episode notes so people can go check you out, lady. And you're also a volunteer. Do you want to tell us about your volunteer work? Sure, yeah. And I think that ties directly into why I got into family law in the first place. Um, I interned while I was in college at Carpels Legal Aid, which is a pro bono agency here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, as part of that work, I worked as an intake coordinator uh, for them, and I talked to low-income clients who are coming into the Daly Center, which is the Cook County Courthouse here, mm-hmm. and they were seeking divorce help. And so I, my job was to kind of get their basic information, get a rundown of their issues and what they hope to accomplish for that day, 
and funnel them over to our, at the time, licensed attorneys. Um, this is when I was still in college. So I was able to see the impact that that work really had on people individually. And I think that was really inspiring for me to see how even just like an hour of help could really help and impact people's access to justice and help them get the help that they need. Um, and so that's been something that I've really carried into my private practice and making sure that I kind of made to make sure that I kept that perspective in mind uh, in terms of the access to justice that that can afford people. That's awesome. Um, I, I have had an opportunity while in law school to volunteer at our, um, our basically the, the Birmingham Volunteer Lawyers Program runs a veterans clinic or a veterans help desk at the local VA. And that's always rewarding to like help people that are, that, that feel like they're kind of priced out of receiving like good legal representation. Not that I was giving them that because I was just a student, but um, it's definitely something that I look forward to continuing like once I hopefully pass the bar in July and start practicing. <laughs> um, you are also an adjunct professor. You teach LLR, like my least favorite class for my 1L year, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Bless you. <laughs> um, that's really cool. So what what made you want to be a, on, on top of all the other things that you do, what made you want to be involved in teaching and become an adjunct professor? Sure. So I think that also kind of stems from my background. Both of my parents are professors, and so I have it okay. in my blood, so to speak, <laughs> um, it, in terms of growing up sitting in the back of my parents' lectures and yeah. seeing <laughs> that kind of education side of it. I think also that I really just enjoy being able to give back to the next generation of lawyers. I think that there's a lot to be said about mentorship and being able to find people and connect with people who can help you advance your career and help get to that next level. And that's why I really like legal writing. I think it's one of those fundamental skills that is applicable to all areas of law and I think that if you're not good at legal writing it can be very detrimental to your law career frankly yeah. um, and so being able to help my students distinguish between the goals and objectives of uh, legal writing for memos for example internal memos mm -hmm. versus like a trial brief uh, and actually persuasive writing, which is what they're working on right now, I think is also a very useful skill and lesson to learn for them too. That's so true. I mean, I say it was my least favorite class, but truthfully, I hated property law more. So <laughs> I was not a fan of property either. <laughs> I, and I really enjoyed my LLR professor. Um, and I think she had a huge impact on me because I think kind of like you, like she's, she was young and just super motivated and coming you know, like it, it was it was exciting and it kind of was inspirational and I did enjoy it reluctantly like um okay well let's get into my questions um you kind of already talked about this but um I, I really uh, wanted you to explain why you specifically chose domestic relations or family law or 
um, matrimonial laws, that what y'all call it in Illinois. In, in Alabama, we call it domestic relations or DR. We call it domestic relations okay. here too. Um, yeah, I think, as I said, I, I interned for the Carpels Legal Aid first and that got me really interested in working one-on-one -on -one with people. And I think mm -hmm. that's just become even more so over the years. I externed for a couple of family law judges down in Champaign and Chicago. Um, I went to law school at University of Illinois, which was in Champaign. Yeah. And being able to see the impact that lawyers could have directly on clients is very something that I'm very interested in overall. Um, being able to work with people and use that psychology background from my undergrad degree, I think, was also very helpful as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think my husband is a on the other side of the law coin. So he does business litigation mm -hmm. and all of his clients are kind of corporate uh, companies who it's a very different feel. You don't have the yeah. emotional aspects of it nearly as much. You don't necessarily see the direct impact of your work on a, pe a person's life right. uh, necessarily. And I think that's something that I was really looking for in my particular practice of law, but obviously it's not everyone's cup of tea. Yeah. I, I'm kind of with you on that. Like, I love the the people part of of the law um, and just being involved with people and helping people. And, and that keeps it interesting because everyone's different. And even if two stories are similar, you know, the people involved in those stories are different. And I, I do love that. Um, okay, so why we're here today... Um, well, we, I, I guess I'll just explain to the people. Um, we got connected on Instagram, um, which I didn't even know there was like divorce stuff on Instagram until I created the podcast Instagram account. And then I was like, oh my gosh, there's like all these attorneys and mediation groups like posting really good information and, and tips for people. Wow, it sounds like someone is throwing around some weights in the room next door. So sorry for the background noise. Um, so that's how we originally got connected. And um, and then I just told you I was super interested in doing an, an episode on collaborative, the collaborative divorce approach, because I can tell you like how I became interested in it. So I got divorced in 2020. Um, and I didn't even know what like collaborative the collaborative approach was an option like when I was getting divorced. So I didn't really find out about it until my divorce was basically over and we'd mediated and settled. Um, and I only found out because I was taking a domestic relations class in, in law school. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that would have been really good to know. And I just had a lot of questions because it seems like it's a model for in ending a marriage, but maybe not destroying a family. And I think it kind of fits into, I don't, I hate to use the term like millennial, you know, psychology, but I think the way we're, we're trending, like at least people in my age group, it's, it's like, well, it would be nice to be able to end a marriage and not feel like you have to hate the other person forever or like your mortal enemies because that's not good for children if you have children. So that's all I became really interested in it and I'm taking advanced domestic relations this semester and we had a really great class with some 
attorneys that were really at the forefront of bringing collaborative divorce, you know, law to to Alabama. Um, And they were super, super passionate about it. And that was exciting because they were just like, this is this is what I love. and, And this is why we do it like this. And I was like, whoa, like you guys are really into this. Like you are really aggressively into humanely and like lovingly ending a marriage (laughs) as much as that's possible so sorry I went on a rant but this this topic really does excite me and I have a lot of questions about it so I'm very excited to talk to you um so if you want to give us like a brief history or general overview um an explanation probably much better than mine in my last mini episode go ahead (laughs) Sure. So collaborative divorce emerged a few decades ago, probably around 1990. Um, and it was originated actually in Minneapolis. Um, and the model was developed because those attorneys there were tired of the adversarial nature of divorce, did yeah. not like how every divorce was just litigated super heavily in court kind of the courtroom drama that you see on TV or movies (laughs) um, is was true. That was the only model. And that was really the only way that you could get uh, there. Mediation has really only become more popular in the last decade or so as well. So um, back then, the the primary mode was to move forward with litigation, um, which was not always the best model for each person. I think Uh, A lot of people are looking for an alternative resolution process where you can sit down with the other person and talk in a transparent way and really try to work through your issues. And as I said, um, kind of make sure that those interconnections between you and your spouse aren't necessarily kept amicable, uh, but at least um, not completely destroyed or cut off especially if there are uh kids involved and you have to co-parent with that person for the next years decades of um according to according to my mom it's forever you have to co-parent forever Um, so that was really the the goal of collaborative divorce in general um the model for those of you who aren't familiar is that you each person, so each party has an attorney, and in addition to the attorneys, there's also a team of professionals. So by team, I mean a divorce coach who specializes in mental health and a financial neutral. Sometimes we have two coaches, and sometimes when there are kids involved, we have a child specialist, but really developing a team to help holistically look at the divorce as a whole and develop and address issues of uh, kind of enforcement later on and durability of the agreement as a whole um, to make sure that rather than kind of the cookie cutter agreement that you might get through litigation, just order something because that's what he's done in hundreds of other cases. um, You are really have more control and reins over the process and you're able to talk to those other professionals to see are there other things on the financial end, for example, that we should be taking into account um, in terms of budget or tax consequences that we wouldn't necessarily think of otherwise? Or similarly, if there is a mental health professional involved, making sure that your emotions are kept in check and addressed during the whole process as well. Yeah. 
um, it, it truly, it, it really collaborative is the perfect word for it because I think it, it it's, it, it really does. It takes a team and it sounds weird to say that because, you know, a marriage is, is two people, but, um, and, and it, I, th I think to some people, like I've kind of talked to my parents about it a little bit and tried to explain it to them. And, um, my parents are divorced and they both remarried. Um, but they were like, huh? You know, <laughs> like a, a marriage is two people. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, they just go their separate ways and burn bridges or whatever they want to do. Um, salt the earth, I guess. But it's, it, to them, I think it kind of was um, a leap, I guess, because they were like, well, why would, you know, a marriage is, is failing and you need a divorce. Why are you going to pour all of this money into having other people help you repair a relationship that you know is ending? Um, and I think that was, I guess, maybe a difference in our generations or something like that. But I was thinking, oh, my gosh, like, I definitely would have paid someone more to help my divorce be more amicable and both of us be happier at the end of it. Um, yeah, that was a, it was interesting trying to explain the concept to people who had been divorced in a very adversarial fashion before. Yeah, and I'll say it's not for everyone, and I know we'll get into kind of the fit for yeah. collaborative divorce in general in a second, but just to kind of think about it in terms of, yeah, you want to kind of keep it amicable, not only just because you want thinking about it in terms of the relationship itself, but thinking about it in terms of your own mental health. Yeah. Um, it's a lot more stressful and emotional if you come out of your divorce feeling like exhausted and like you've been <laughs> battling and negative. Um, and there's a lot of negativity that can come out of litigation. Whereas mm -hmm. in the collaborative model, the idea is really to help you be empowered and take control over your divorce um, as opposed to relinquishing it to a judge. Yeah. Um, and that can really help you move on with your life a lot easier too. Um, at the end of the day, if you feel like I was in control the entire time of the process, I'm not entirely, uh, I, do I wish that there are some terms that could have been changed? Yeah. Cause mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is about compromise and reaching a resolution that can work for both of you. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, you understand the reasonings behind those as opposed to again, relinquishing power to a judge and, the judge doesn't have to explain his or her ruling to you. Nope. They can just give it to you and you can have your judgment and be on your way. And you never have a chance to just kind of do a Q and a with that yeah. judge. So, um, I feel in my experience, my the collaborative clients or the clients that have gone through mediation on the whole have been a lot happier in terms of their walking away emotions, um, and feeling like they, they come out of the process kind of knowing exactly here are the terms of my agreement and here's why we reached these terms of that agreement. Yeah. Um, okay. So now I want to talk a little bit about, I guess the way I worded it in the outline is the duration of the case, but do you, do you, is it, is it very case specific or is there kind of a general time frame for duration from like first, you know, in office or zoom consultation to, getting your final divorce decree is there like a general timeline or is it totally different for everyone 
It's pretty different. I'll say that it's at least six months. Uh, I would say typically like six months to a year. Mm-hmm. Um, the How a collaborative process starts out is usually someone meets with an attorney that's trained in the collaborative model. I'll say that the majority of our cases stem out of an attorney consult first. Yeah. And after that, the attorney kind of floats the idea of collaborative divorce as a whole mm-hmm. with that client. And once the client is on board and their spouse is on board and has an attorney also trained in the collaborative process, then what ha- often happens is that those two attorneys meet and talk about the formation of their team. Okay. Now, the formation of the team is looking for people who can really have a personality fit with mm-hmm. both spouses and that both spouses can trust <clears throat> Um Sometimes we need someone with a softer touch. Sometimes we need someone who can kind of take the reins and say, like, here is here are your finances. Here is what I need from you. If you don't get it to me, I cannot yeah. give you the analysis. And it's a little bit more direct. Mm-hmm. Um, so we always try to glean from our clients in that initial intake. And something that's very important to us is figuring out personality and figuring out who will best fit for the team because at the end of the day it's a transparent process and a trusting process so at the very least that each spouse needs to trust the professionals who are involved on the team for sure I definitely I'm sure that's a huge part of it is the trust issue I mean every every bit of the of getting divorced is a trust (laughs) a trust exercise so I I mean with the collaborative approach I think you would definitely need to have trust in your attorney and, and all the experts and the neutrals for sure, especially if there's a lot of finances. Um, how often, I guess while we're kind of on the time thing, like, so you think, you know, six, six to nine months, however long it is, like, how often do you, as, as an attorney, meet with your client or how often does the team meet? Sure. So I think there's a good mix of both. And it really depends on how my client is feeling after a particular meeting. I'll say that what typically happens is we meet with the clients and then we have our first team meeting. After the team meeting, we have a professionals debrief where the professionals and the members of the team meet without the clients and really talk about like, here's what I observed. Here are the topics that we think we need to go further into at the next session. And then um, I then go back to my client and circle back and say like kind of a feelings check first. So how are you mm-hmm. feeling about how that first team session went? Do you feel like your voice was being heard? Do you feel like there were things that you wish that we went into further that we didn't go into at that first session? And would you like to go back to them? And then here are the things that as professionals, we talked about in the debrief and what we should um, kind of expect for moving forward. And then I'll say like that kind of dictates the frequency of which I meet with our clients. I think on the whole, I'll say that it's normally like team meeting, professional debrief, mm-hmm. individual meeting with client, and then like a to-do list for that client before the next team meeting starts. Um, but we do circulate agendas for the team meetings beforehand okay. so that if our clients do have an issue that they want to discuss with us or the financial neutral or the divorce coach, that they can have an opportunity to discuss those before the next team meeting too. That's really cool. Like, I don't know. I'm so excited about this. I don't even plan on practicing domestic relations law, but um, I just, I, I really do love this. And I feel like the, like you and your cohort, attorneys that commit to this are truly committing to like 
it's it's like this radical approach and it's it's so different it's teamwork it's how do you feel it's you know so different than you than most people would think about divorce law i'm like fangirling collaborative the collaborative approach that was i'm so weird. that's great it's time for me to leave law school like time now <laughs> um okay so um how do you identify a case that you think would be a good fit? So what do you look sure. for? So I think first and foremost, I ask the client if there's any concerns regarding abuse. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that kind of automatically almost disqualifies a case unless mm -hmm. it was a very long time ago. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the underlying emotions of that can make this very, a collaborative process very difficult. And also kind of that intimidation yeah. that can be very difficult. I think in line with that, I ask if that the spouse feels like their spouse can be transparent with the financials and transparent with their feelings. I think very difficult situations have arisen where um, we have been told that the spouse thinks that their their spouse will be transparent in the process and then yeah. they, we find out they're hiding an account. Obviously, that's not helpful for the model um, because we're trying to reach a durable agreement that can be enforceable later on and where both parties can be happy with what has been disclosed. Yeah. If one spouse doesn't disclose all of his or her assets or isn't forthcoming about his or her income, it can be very challenging to make that durable agreement because now there aren't disclosures being made. Yeah. Um, that totally makes sense. Like you really would have to buy into this to, or I guess if, if maybe one of the clients th thought like, I'm going to outsmart all these attorneys and all of these experts, which there are definitely some people like that out there. I guess I could see someone saying, oh yeah, sure. I'll do that. And like thinking they're going to pull the wool over your eyes, but hopefully that doesn't happen very often. I feel like most people are going to commit to this. They probably really want it to work. Um, okay, so this was my own personal question and not for anyone's edification, but do you have a preference between mediation, collaborative approach, or just trial, like your standard old litigation? I think they satisfy different parts of my personality. <laughs> um, to be honest, I mean, that there's a reason why I do all three. Yeah. Um, and I think that mediation, collaborative divorce have been great in terms of making me feel like, okay, when it's the right fit, mm -hmm. that I think it, it can really help people come to a good place at the end of the day. People can feel like, oh, I was, I'm very grateful for being able to have, be empowered by the process and feeling like I, had control uh, over that and giving my clients control and that kind of satisfaction and happiness that can come from that in the midst of something that can be so negative, like yeah. divorce, is very rewarding to me. In litigation, I think it's really advocating for my client's position and putting forth their kind of the best legal argument and particularly where it is a more complicated gray area. I enjoy the research aspect of that and advocating <laughs> for you know, like unique legal positions. But I will say, obviously, in litigation, I do more often see that people are like diametrically opposed and there's no winning. So yeah. even if I do get kind of what the relief my client is asking for is, they aren't necessarily happier with the process. They just 
feel like, okay, here's a small thing that I got out of it. Um, but they, a lot of the times they feel like they're kind of entitled to it anyway. So yeah. on the client satisfaction side, I don't necessarily think it's leading to like the most yeah. <laughs> uh, like internal happiness and empowerment as opposed to the mediation process. Yeah, I think I agree with uh, with that, not as an expert, but just observing like uh, it almost like when when you see um, I had the opportunity to observe to like shadow an attorney, um, a domestic relations attorney here in Birmingham and, and also like to go shadow a few um, domestic relations judges. And that was kind of one thing I saw was like people kind of start out like with they they kind of seem like they want something out of it. Like they just want to poke, you know, they just want to to make the other person uncomfortable sometimes. And it could sometimes you could see one party was more and sometimes it seemed like both parties just kind of wanted to make the other one mad because they're still mad at each other. And I was like, this is literally the worst place do that like in front of the judge that that's going to be writing the order that dictates you know everything you know your life uh, and if you have children your life for the next few years and really how much money you bring home and all of that I think some clients really seem to want their day in court and I mean I guess I can uh, I can totally understand that I can also completely sympathize with someone who's like, I just want this to end peacefully. I want to do what Gwyneth Paltrow and the Coldplay guy did, a conscious uncoupling. (laughs) That was me when I got divorced. I was like, how can I figure out how to convince him to do something like a conscious uncoupling, which I knew was completely, um, you know, absurd on my part. Like, it just wasn't going to happen. But it was in my brain. I was like, that sounds so cool. Like, we just release a joint statement on Facebook and then go on about our merry way. Like, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, I think you say it sounds silly, but I I don't actually disagree with you in terms of the the intent. I think that a lot of the times with collaborative divorce, it is a lot about, like, opening those lines of communication, particularly when there's parenting issues involved. I think the issue a lot of the times is a judge order something for yeah. the kid, whether it's a parenting schedule or activities mm-hmm. or a school or something like that. And the parents are left with not being able to explain that to their children. Like, why am yeah. I moving schools or why am I going to this activity instead of this activity anymore? Yeah. And a lot of the times that places blame on the other party or mm-hmm. places blame on the judge, which is not the most productive way to explain to a child. Like, yeah. well, the judge is saying that, you need to go to this school or something like that. That's not great. And then the parents end up having mixed messages in terms of what they tell their kids. And that's where fights get initiated on the back end of the divorce, where our clients come back to us and they say, can you believe what my spouse told my kids about this decision that the judge made? I'm like, you know, I can because you guys don't have an open line of communication anymore. You haven't had the talk about how you are going to be on the same page with your kids um and as a result of that they're getting two different messages Mm -hmm. um and so the collaborative model really does help people work with a mental health professional 
on that level. And I think that's where it's super important to have the coach involved to help identify those types of issues and say, okay, now here is the agreement that you made and take that next step and say, how are you going to talk to your kids about it? How are you going to present this so that you guys are on a united front so that it's in their best interest so that they don't come out of this super confused and like these things are being ripped away from them with no explanation. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the biggest thing that the, the open line of communication and the collaborative process can help. Yeah. I, I mean, that makes sense. And also from, I, I don't want to say like an education perspective, but like, for example, when I got divorced last year, I, only been married once so first marriage first divorce um there were just things that came up throughout the process that like issues that I never even thought of you know it's like you don't know what you don't know and my attorney was super helpful with that because she's amazing but having like a divorce coach there and a mental health specialist to really say hey think about these issues and let's come up with a solution like before it's in your face and it's a problem would have been so helpful like so helpful so I yeah it could definitely I think be useful to get outside perspective ahead of time before there's a problem (laughs) yeah I, I think that's the biggest thing too and a lot of the times even in my litigation cases at times we recommend that our clients seek therapy when especially when the emotional side is intermingling with the divorce side and obviously divorce is an emotional time I'm not discounting that in any way but it can be but as a divorce attorney I don't have the qualifications yeah to be a therapist um I can listen I can uh like talk to you about your feelings but again I don't have the qualifications to help you be empowered to receive closure for those feelings and to work through those feelings except for my basic kind of human (laughs) (laughs) instincts um, as a person (laughs) and uh, someone who I think is relatively empathetic um, (laughs) but I obviously like I as I said I don't have the training for that so if we can help separate those and really get to the core of like why is this an interest or a need that you have for your process it can be very helpful for our clients to really focus on what needs to be focused on in these particular aspects of their divorce case. Yeah. Okay. So this is my last question that I came up with before this. Um, Do you have any tips for our our listeners on how to talk to their, their partners about going through the collaborative divorce approach? Like how to, how to broach the subject when you're obviously like if you're thinking about getting divorced, maybe there's issues in the relationship, maybe there aren't whatever, but um, I would love to hear your advice on this. And I'm sure anyone who actually listens to this episode, this is what they came for. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I do think it's, it's really kind of the same conversations if you go to mediation or another dispute process. And I think a lot of it is people who are coming to, me in particular for collaborative mediation work often are looking to keep an amicable relationship and and for themselves in a mental health capacity kind of keep things happier and more less litigious Mm -hmm. uh and adversarial 
And I think that's one perspective in terms of keeping that uh, down in terms and fostering that mutual respect for one another and one another's opinions. So for those people who don't have children, I would say foster uh, kind of harping on kind of fostering respect between individuals, thinking about keeping things amicable for both the mental health of the individuals involved, but also just generally moving forward um, on a less negative note and a negative space. For those people who have children, I think collaborative is a great model as well. Um, You can stress that these other professionals can help you not only on the financial end in terms of budgeting for the future and budgeting for your family's needs, but also on the mental health end of how to have those communications with your children and talk to them about the divorce process, Mm -hmm. how to make sure that you're addressing your kids' needs throughout the process and explaining to them like why the schedule is the way it is or some of these other decisions um, so that you guys are on the same page. I think that can be very helpful in fostering that co-parenting relationship moving forward. So I would, I advise our clients to approach it from that perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's a lot of online resources, which are really great in explaining the process as well. Because I think one big hurdle that I've had with potential clients and the collaborative model in general is just a lack of understanding or transparency of what it is. Yeah. Uh, people just think that they have to go into court <laughs> to yeah. get divorced. So if, it, you know, if I could provide them with some additional resources, looking at the um, International Academy of Collaborative Professionals to, uh, website or other uh, collaborative divorce websites and showing the benefits of the process itself from an objective perspective rather than relying on like the other spouse to yeah. <laughs> believe what the, their spouse says about the process yeah uh, I think it'd be very helpful as well yeah that's kind of true <laughs> maybe it's just uh like slide into their dms with a a website like a link <laughs> a link to a website okay that's my very unexpert advice <laughs> yeah I mean I think like you can have the conversation with them yeah. and then say like uh, my attorney shared with me some uh, links that we can look at in terms of this process if you want to learn more uh, knowing that a lot of the times people are kind of there is some distrust and obviously mm-hmm. like the breakdown of the marriage is likely linked to a lack of trust in that other person. So if it takes looking at an objective website to learn about the model, I think that can help a lot and go a long way um, in getting people on board and educated about the process in general. Well, like I said, that's those are all the templated plans. I'm so sorry. It's the end of the semester. My brain is literally falling apart. Um, those are all the questions I had, but I would, I just want to open it up, open up the floor to you. If you have anything you want to put out there, advice, reading recommendations, sites or Instagram accounts to follow besides yours, which I'll also put in the show notes. Um, yeah, here's your chance. Sure. I think I would just encourage people to be open to different processes in divorce in general and ask your attorney about those. I think one big thing that I always advise people for potential clients, like look for a good fit in your 
divorce attorney, look for someone that you can trust first and foremost, but also look for someone who is in line with what you want to do for your process. <laughs> if you're looking for someone who only wants to litigate and thinks that litigation is the end all be all answer and just wants to fight all day <laughs> um, and initiate fights where there don't need to be, uh, I'm not the attorney. You're not for the that one. <laughs> um, I don't believe in kind of starting fights to start fights. Yeah. Um, but I know people who are, yeah. um, but I think that it, you, that's really important to ask those kind of more big picture questions. In addition to just educating yourself about the law in general, I think everyone who calls me for an initial consult will ask those general questions about how a court will divide their assets or debts or mm -hmm. how custody is determined or in Illinois it's called allocation of parental responsibilities but oh, wow. very long word for okay. <laughs> uh, very not so long concept but um, they often don't necessarily ask me about those kind of like approaches or strategy questions and I would encourage people to do more more of that because yeah. the attorney should be able to walk you through what that next step looks like and those processes look like and along the way as well I think if you get lost in your process and you're you have to ask your attorney well where are we at like what is what are we doing right now and where are we in terms of the big picture of getting us towards the divorce. If your attorney's not able to answer those questions, that can be very challenging uh, and can be maybe a sign that they're maybe not in the best fit for you. Um, so I would encourage people to think about that as well. Awesome. Well, I, I really cannot express to you enough how much I appreciate you talking with me today. Um, obviously I nerd out over the collaborative process and it's just really great to talk to an expert and I appreciate you taking time out of your very busy schedule, obviously based on your bio to, um, to educate me, to educate anyone who listens to this. So thanks again. And yeah, I, I hope we'll stay in touch. Maybe I'll get some questions and I can send them your way. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Anytime. Uh, I know you're at the end of the semester, so good luck with finals, too. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, I really hope you enjoyed um, my talk with Stephanie. It was amazing to speak with her, and I learned a lot. I hope everyone that listens to this learns a lot, and obviously... If you think a collaborative model for your divorce would be a good fit, then do some research. Look up um, family law or domestic relations attorneys that practice collaborative law because it's a little special. So um, today's term is going to be, it's, it's actually an acronym. Quadro is what it's normally referred to. Q-D-R-O. Qualified Domestic Relations Order. An example of a quadro is like, okay, so when you're splitting up your assets, creating your settlement agreement, or if you do go to trial, a quadro is something, a special order that a judge has to issue. Basically, it's informing financial institutions that one party is entitled to assets that are 
under the sole name of another party. So that could be like a retirement account or something like that. So if you decide that, um, you know, party A is going to be receiving um, an investment account that's in party B's name, then after you come to that agreement, so the judge is going to issue like, you know, your divorce decree and all of that stuff, but they will have to issue a separate order, a quadro, qualified domestic relations order that um, your attorney or you can take to the financial institution to um, switch that account over to your name. Okay, I hope that helps, quadro. Hope you never have to deal with that. Or I guess if you're listening to this, then you probably will have to deal with it. Thanks for listening. Bye.